So there's a story of a kid in Sunday school who was getting distracted and wasn't really paying attention. It was kind of at the back of the room doodling on a piece of paper. And the teacher kind of goes back there and says, Johnny, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher says, well, Johnny, no one knows what God looks like. Without missing a beat, he said, they will when I'm done. And we all kind of are that way. We've got our mental pictures of God, of what God is like, even of what God looks like. And so when, when we talk about God, some people picture God the Father, and they picture Him as this big old man sitting on a throne in robes and a big white beard, kind of a, a Zeus-like picture of God, that something you'd see on the, on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. I think, uh, Mike, I've got a picture of that. You wanna, there you go. So that's what we picture. Uh, or when you say God, people might think of Jesus, and they picture in their minds some artist's vision of Jesus, maybe even one that hangs outside of a certain chapel in a certain church. And that's what Jesus looks like to you. But what about when people think of God the Holy Spirit? What do you picture when you think of God the Spirit? Now, I grew up in a small Baptist church, and... Uh, you know, the King James Version was what was read and preached from. And in the King James Version, the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Ghost. And so more, more than saying the Holy Spirit, people would say the Holy Ghost. And we still use that sometimes. We sing it in the doxology, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But whenever I heard Holy Ghost as a child, what I pictured in my mind was Charlie Brown's Halloween costume. That was the Holy Ghost. I kid you not. And it kind of freaked me out when they would talk about the Holy Ghost because ghosts are scary, right? They're kind of spooky. It's like the Halloween special version of God. And I, I didn't like that. It kind of made me afraid of the third person of the Trinity. And, you know, as Baptists, we already kind of give the Holy Spirit the side eye, don't we? I mean, we, we're a little, you know, uh, skittish about the Holy Spirit because we don't want people to think we're charismatic now, do we? We don't want to be holy rollers. We don't want to lose control and start raising our hands and shouting hallelujah, right? When people say amen or raise their hands, we kind of look at them a little suspiciously. It makes us a little nervous as Baptists. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't even cue him to do that. Thank you. That's great. So, you know, there are lots of misconceptions and fears surrounding the Holy Spirit. And, of course, the Holy Spirit is one of the reasons why we have entire denominations is because of different theologies and beliefs about the Holy Spirit, what He is like and what He does. So my purpose today is to help us gain a clearer perspective and understanding of who the Spirit is, what the Spirit is like, and what the Spirit does. So just like we've done with God, God the Father, God the Son, we're going to look at His attributes and His activities. And so first, let's begin by thinking about what is the Spirit like. The three persons of the Trinity, remember, exist co-equally, co-eternally as God. But when we talk about the Trinity, while we may believe that, when we talk about the Trinity, we kind of put them in a hierarchy, don't we? I mean, we talk and sing a lot about Jesus. It's like Jesus is the main star, right? We sing and talk a lot about Jesus. God the Father a little bit less, but God the Spirit kind of gets the short end of the stick, doesn't he? I mean, God the Spirit sort of, he's mysterious. We don't know. I mean, we can, we can identify with fathers, we can picture a father. We can identify with sons. We can picture Jesus. But again, the Spirit seems so ethereal, so mysterious. Matt and I were even talking uh, early in the week about how there's such a lack of songs about the Holy I think we sang about every song about the Holy Spirit this morning that, that we have as Baptists. We just don't have as much about the Spirit. 
And even when the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit, it's sprinkled throughout Scripture. There's no single great pneumological passage about the Spirit like we have these great Christological passages we looked at last week. We have to pay attention throughout the Bible whenever the Spirit appears. And that's how the Baptist faith and message puts together its statement on God the Spirit. Let's look at that together. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the Scriptures. Through illumination, He enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, He baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through His church. He seals the believer until the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit. We thank You for the truth of Your Spirit, Father, and we we pray that Your Spirit today would empower us, enable us, and illuminate for us the truth we look at today, that we may know you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in this Baptist faith and message statement, it's interesting to note that other than the first sentence, every sentence in there describes what the Spirit does. Now, this is one of the things we have to understand about God the Spirit. He never draws attention to Himself. He always points us to God the Son and to God the Father. That's one of the most important things to understand. But we also understand about who He is and what, he, what He's like is that in every way, in, in every way the Spirit is equal with the Father and with the Son. The Spirit possesses the same attributes, the same character as God the Father and God the Son. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent and holy. He's immutable. He's righteous. He's just. He's loving. And He is a person. Now, this is an easy mistake to make. We've all made it, referring to the Spirit by the impersonal pronoun, it. But this is not consistent with with the revelation of Scripture. The Spirit is not some impersonal force or energy that comes from God. He is God. He is as much God as God the Son and God the Father. So whenever Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, we'll notice that He always uses the masculine personal pronoun. For example, in John 14, 17, He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive Him because it doesn't see Him or know Him, but you do know Him because He remains with you and will be in you. So the Spirit is personal. We can know Him. He knows us. He dwells in us. Remember our understanding of God is that He is one God who expresses Himself to us in three distinct but equal persons. So the Spirit is not just Jesus or God the Father in a different form. He is God, but He is a unique, distinct person. So as we study the Bible, we see this third person of the Trinity throughout, from the beginning to the end. We go back to Genesis 1, to creation itself. Look, we see the Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The Spirit was there in the first chapter, active in creation. We see the Spirit in the last chapter, active in the new creation. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen. both the Spirit and the bride say, Come. 
The Spirit and the church inviting people to come and drink the water of life freely. So from creation to new creation throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God active and at work. Now, in the Old Testament, the way the Spirit works is the Spirit would come upon a specific person for a specific time to enable them to accomplish a specific task. For example, we see this with King Saul. The Spirit of God came upon King Saul when he was anointed to be king, but he proved to be an evil, wicked king, so God removed his spirit. Look at 1 Samuel 10.10. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he prophesied along with them. But then in 1 Samuel 16.14, it says that he removed the Spirit of God, and actually sent a tormenting spirit upon Saul. Throughout the book of Judges, we, say this, we see the same Spirit of God empowering people like Gideon or Samson to fight for and deliver God's people from their enemies. The Spirit even came upon artisans and craftsmen to enable them to build the tabernacle and the temple and all of the, the furnishings that go within it. He inspired prophets and biblical authors But in the Old Testament, there was never a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He would come on somebody, empower them for a specific task, and he would leave. There was no permanent indwelling of the Spirit on all God's people. In fact, it was a great prophecy in our Old Testament reading this morning. You remember the reading that Lee gave us from Joel? That someday, Joel said, someday the Spirit of God will come on all our sons and daughters and enable them to prophesy and to do ministry. And we know that day came on the day of Pentecost. The day the church was born, the Spirit of God was poured out on all God's people. Let's look at that in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were together, all in one place. This is after the the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And the Spirit did did the same thing on the first time the Samaritans believed. The Spirit came in the same way. The first time Gentiles believed, the Spirit came in the same way. And from that moment on, whenever anybody put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God comes upon them for the rest of their life. You may remember our New Testament reading in John 16. Jesus said that the Spirit of truth would come to us to remind us of what Jesus said and to glorify Jesus. He said the Spirit won't speak on His own, but will reveal what the Father wants Him to reveal. I think this is why the Bible's teachings on the Holy Spirit are are kind of hard to nail down in one place. It's it's why there's more about what the Spirit does in the Bible than who the Spirit is. And, and, and it's why the Spirit is often talked about in terms like wind, breath. You might have noticed in a lot of our songs, we talked about breath of God, breathe on me. The, both the Hebrew and Greek words for Spirit are the same as the word for breath or wind. Ruach and pneuma. In fact, we even talk about pneumatics, right? If something's pneumatic, it's powered by air. So pneuma means wind, air, breath, or spirit. So the Spirit, He's like the wind. He's like a flame of fire. He's talked about as water. He's talked about as a dove. All kind of mysterious analogies that we have. And the reason for that is because the Spirit doesn't point to Himself. 
It's not about Him. He is pointing us to Jesus. He's pointing us to the Father. And we know the Spirit best through the ways in which He works in our lives, in our world, and in our church. In Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, he summarizes it like this, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. He is God present and active in the life of every believer, the world, the church, and in every believer. So let's think about what the Spirit does. And and this is not a comprehensive list, but I want to walk us through ten things, very briefly, ten things. I'll only spend ten minutes on each of these. Ten things, that was a joke. I think I heard some gasps. Uh, uh, The activities of the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one. He reveals God's truth. He reveals God's truth. We've already heard Jesus describe the Spirit as the Spirit of truth, that God sends to guide us into all truth to remind us of everything Jesus taught. 2 Peter 1.21 talks about that there's no prophecy that ever comes by the will of man, at least no true prophecy. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Again, think about like the wind or the water carries you along. The Spirit of God carried these men along and inspired them as they wrote God's Word. We talked about this in the first two sermons of this series about the Bible, how it is the inspired Word of God, the Spirit of God breathed into these men and inspired them as they wrote. So the Spirit reveals God's truth. But secondly, He convicts us of sin. Now, before our New Testament reading, which was in John 16, let's go back a few verses and look at verses 7 through 11. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Counselor, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. If I go, I will send Him to you. When He comes, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the rulers of this world, the ruler of this world has been judged. So Jesus is saying that the, one of the activities of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now this Greek word convict, it means to expose, to bring to light with an emphasis on on showing someone their sin so as to lead them to repentance of their sins. So it's the Holy Spirit who reveals to us that we're sinners, who reveals to us how unrighteous we are, who warns us of the judgment that we face. He's responsible for opening our eyes to the great sin in our life, but then He doesn't stop there. He then invites us to salvation. He convicts us of our sin and then He invites us to salvation. This, this convicting of sin and convincing us for our, our need for a Savior leads Him then to invite us into a saving faith relationship with Jesus Christ. So it is through God the Spirit that we are enabled to respond to God the Father's offer of salvation and eternal life made possible by God the Son's sinless sacrifice. The Father, Son, and Spirit all working together in our salvation. In Romans 3, 10 through 11, Paul says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. So without the Holy Spirit wooing us, drawing us into faith in Christ, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's work, none of us would ever seek God. None of us would ever want to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit drawing us in faith to Christ. He's the one who convicts us. He's the one who invites us. Think about this as the Spirit's work 
He's working on us from the outside in, leading us to faith in Christ. But once we become a Christian, He then works from the inside out. Okay, we're going to see that more here in a minute. So the Spirit convicts us of sin based on the truth of the revealed Word of God inspired by the Spirit. He convicts us of sin. He invites us to faith in Christ. And once we put our faith and trust in Jesus, He brings regeneration. Now that's a big fancy word that means He brings new life to us. He renews us in Christ Jesus. Or as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So the Holy Spirit makes us new. Jesus used the analogy of being born again as he was talking to Nicodemus. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3. He said to Nicodemus, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit. And what he means by water, he means by physical birth, right? There's there's water there in that physical birth. You're born by water. So unless you're born physically and born spiritually... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who accomplishes this new birth in the life of the believer. He makes us a new creation. Romans 8.10 says, Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. That's how the Spirit works in our salvation. He convicts us of sin convinces us of our need for a Savior, invites us, draws us into faith in Jesus, and then He regenerates new life within us and He indwells the believer for the rest of our life. Here's where we see some significant differences between us and some other denominations. There are those out there that teach a second blessing or a second baptism of the Spirit, a baptism of the Spirit separate and later on after your moment of salvation. But the Baptist faith and message rejects this outright. Remember it said at the moment of regeneration, He baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. So when you come to faith in Jesus, you're baptized, not physically by water. That's a symbol of the spiritual baptism that takes place as the Holy Spirit comes into your life in that moment. The Bible doesn't teach anywhere this idea that you've got to somehow beg or ask or work for some second blessing or baptism of the Spirit after your salvation. In fact, throughout the book of Acts, whenever you see somebody coming to faith in Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit right then, that moment. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, In Him, in Christ, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When? When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So when you hear the gospel and believe, in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to seal you. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. So again, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you repent, you turn from your sin, you trust in Jesus to forgive you and save you, in that moment you are forever sealed. The Spirit is given to you like a down payment, a guarantee that you belong to God the Father forever. This is why Paul says in Romans 8 9 that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. So how could you be saved and then later receive the Spirit. Because if Paul says if you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. You don't belong to Jesus. You can't have one without the other. So again, before our salvation, the Spirit is working on us to draw us to faith in Christ 
after our salvation, the Spirit is working in us to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. Those are the two ways the Spirit works in our lives. And so when He comes to indwell us and to regenerate us in new life, then He begins to sanctify us. That's kind of a fancy word that means to make us more like Jesus. And He does that in several ways. First, He teaches us truth. So not only does God's Spirit reveal the truth of God's Word, the Spirit then takes the Word and individually teaches us how to be more like Jesus, how to live in the way of God's Word. You know, often preachers will say that the key to understanding the Bible is to know its author. There's a lot of truth to that. When you've got the Holy Spirit living within you, you've got the author of Scripture living within you. He will enable you to understand it. It's sort of like taking a college class where the professor wrote the textbook. He knows his stuff. He knows what he's talking about. He can help you understand it. He can answer your questions. The Spirit shows us truth. He he helps us understand why we should obey it and how to apply it to our lives. He enables us to discern God's truth from the world's falsehoods and lies and, and twisting of God's truth. He illuminates the Bible as we study it, as we hear it taught and preached. He convicts us where we need to correct our lives. And He helps us to not just be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. Again, Jesus said in John 16, 13, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He teaches us God's truth. Secondly, He intercedes for us. The Spirit that indwells us, He not only teaches us God's truth, He helps us to pray. He helps us talk to God. This, to me, this is one of the most reassuring activities of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Because we don't know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, Paul's being brutally honest here. We are weak. And we often don't know how we should pray or what we should pray for. I mean... You ever get distracted when you pray? Your mind ever wander? You ever fallen asleep while you pray? Maybe even in the pew here? We fall into rote patterns of prayer. I mean, there were men, you know, we'd have two or three deacons pray in the church I grew up in. One would open the service, one would pray before the offering, one would pray at the end. We'd have these, and, and, and you could almost say word for word what some of them were going to say in their prayers, right? We, we get in these rote patterns of prayer. We ask for things that aren't necessarily for our best and we fail to dare to ask for the things that God really wants to do in our lives. So yes, we don't know what to pray for, but Paul gives us this amazing reassuring promise that God the Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf. He goes to the Father. He asks for those things that we don't even know what we should ask for. He prays for things that we don't know what to pray for. That that blows my mind. And it takes some pressure off of us when we pray, doesn't it? We don't have to get all the right words. Prayer is more than just saying the right thing. Prayer is about resting in the presence of God. It's about trusting in His love and in His provision. He intercedes for us. Next, He brings unity in the church. So one way we can think about the Spirit's activity, what we've seen already, is the Spirit is at work in the world, right? He's out there at work in the world, convicting people of sin, drawing them, inviting them to the Savior, Once they're saved, He then regenerates them. He brings new life into them. That's the Spirit's work in the world. But then once He comes to indwell the believer, we've looked at the Spirit's work in each of our individual lives. 
He teaches us truth. He intercedes for us. He, he, he indwells us and He seals us until the day of redemption. He's at work in us individually. But now we look at how the Spirit of God is at work in us collectively. How does the Spirit work in the church? He brings unity. He takes all these individual believers and He makes us one. He brings us together. In Ephesians 4.3, Paul commands us. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he says, we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. So whether you're Jew or Greek, whether you're black or white, whether you're American or Russian, whether you are a Democrat or Republican, whether you're slaves or free, whether you're management or, or you're, you're, you're a worker, no matter what your state or condition in, is in life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we were all given one Spirit to drink. The Spirit makes us one. It doesn't matter what our background, it doesn't matter what we've done in our past, it doesn't matter whether we're men or women, young or old, how much money we make, what kind of education we make, who we vote for, it doesn't matter. In Christ Jesus, we can be brought together and made one in Him. What unites us as believers in Christ is far greater than anything the world wants to use to try to divide us. Amen? Paul often writes about this oneness in the fellowship of the Spirit. Through God's Spirit within each of us, He brings us together as one body in Christ. And whenever the Spirit of God is in control, God's people are united in love, in mind, in purpose where the Spirit of God reigns, there's a unity that is evidence of God's presence in that church and in those people's lives. He brings unity to the church. He also empowers us to serve the church. We see this in Acts 1.8. The Acts version of the Great Commission, Jesus tells the disciples before He ascends, He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So God has given us this commission to go into all the world and to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. But He doesn't leave us to do that on our own. Wherever God's will sends you, God's provision will empower you. His grace will provide your needs. He's not going to send us on a mission and leave us unequipped. And leave us without authority and without power. No, He's going to empower us. He's going to anoint us for ministry. He's going to pour His Spirit within us so that by His Spirit's power, we can carry out the mission He's given us to proclaim the gospel and to bring those who are far from God near. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by strength nor by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not about doing it in our strength. And our power, it's about doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without God's Spirit in, working within us, we labor in vain. We're spinning our wheels. We're not going to get anywhere. Jesus put it this way. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Because He's like a vine. We're the branches. And if the branch is not in the vine, the branch will not bear fruit. Unless we rely on the Spirit working through us, giving us a power beyond ourselves, all of our work as a church will be fruitless. You can have a church that has the best music on the planet. They can have smoke. They can have lights. It can be like a concert. 
You can have a preacher that's charismatic and dynamic and just holds people in the palm of their hands and he can preach for hours and they don't care. That's not me. But if the Spirit of God is not filling and working through those people, it's in vain. It will amount to nothing. He empowers us for service. And He equips us with spiritual gifts. He equips us. We can read about these gifts, and and I've preached a series of sermons on these in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. tells us the Holy Spirit gives gifts to all Christians, equipping us to be fully functional members of the body of Christ. We're like hands and feet and eyes and ears and nose and mouth. We all have different functions. God has shaped us each in unique ways to contribute, to work together for the good of the church, to carry out the gospel. The health and growth of our church then depends on the Spirit actively working in and through us, the members, empowering us, equipping us to carry out God's will. Now, we get hung up on what gifts do we have, right? What gifts do I have? What are my gifts? We, we read books, we go to classes, we take assessments. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong when we stop with knowing what our gifts are and we don't use those gifts. And I've seen people that have just they've gone, they've taken classes, they've taken the assessment, they've just obsessed over what are my gifts, but then they don't serve in any way. They won't teach, they won't work in the nursery, they won't sing in the choir, they won't be on a committee, they don't want to be a deacon, they don't do anything. Your gifts are useless if they sit wrapped under the tree, right? You've got to open them and put them to work. Don't let them just sit on a shelf and collect dust. The Holy Spirit gives us those gifts to equip us to carry out His mission. These are the ten Things, the ten activities. That again, it's not comprehensive, but these are the ten vital ways the Spirit is working in the world, in our lives, in our church. It's how the Spirit works in us before our salvation, how the Spirit works in us after our salvation. Now, the question I ask every week, what difference does it make? That's what it says. It says, we believe doctrines that make a difference. What difference does this make? How now do we live in light of these truths about the Spirit of God? Well, I want to leave you with three questions to ask yourself. Are you in fellowship with the Spirit? Are you in fellowship with the Spirit? Philippians 2.1, Paul talks about having the fellowship of the Spirit. He says it again at the end of 2 Corinthians, about being in the fellowship of the Spirit. What does that mean? To walk in fellowship with the Spirit means that you are living daily in an active relationship with God. When was the last time you were aware of the presence of God? I mean, where you were so aware of the presence of God, you could feel it. You could sense that He was there. It was vivid. It was vibrant. Now, I'm not saying that we live by feelings alone. We don't because feelings can be fickle. But if you're walking in fellowship with the Spirit of God, you should feel something, right? The Spirit of God comforts us when we are in despair, when we're hurting. He fills us with the joy of the Lord when the world around us is falling apart. Listen, we should find an enjoyment in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, You reveal the path of life to me in your presence is abundant joy. He says, Your right hand in it are eternal pleasures. There should be something pleasurable and enjoyable being in fellowship with the Spirit. But it's about more than just being aware of His presence. It's also being attentive to His voice. 
Do you listen to the Spirit of God? Do you listen for Him to correct you and to rebuke you, to train you in righteousness? Are you listening for the Spirit to take the Word of God and reveal to you where you need to make changes in your life and areas of your life you need to invite Him to come and work on? That's all part of being in fellowship with the Spirit. Are you in fellowship with the Spirit? Secondly, are you filled with the Spirit? Now, Paul says in Ephesians 5.18 that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is separate and distinct from the coming of the Spirit at the moment of your salvation. So the moment you're saved, you're baptized with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you forever. But we can continually and repeatedly be filled with the Spirit. So the coming of the Spirit happens once, but we can continually be filled with the Spirit over and over and over again. It's all about surrender. It's all about emptying yourself of self so that God's fullness, the fullness of His power and presence can be in your life. Think about it this way. To be filled with the Spirit is to surrender to Him your agenda, your will, your desires, all of your life so that He can live through you. Jesus talked about this in this language. He talked about denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following Him. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Paul talked about it as being crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's about dying to self and allowing the Spirit to fill you and to live through you. Being filled with the Spirit is not about you getting more of God. It's about God getting more of you. It's about giving Him more room in your life to fill you up with His joy and His presence and His peace and His power? Are you too filled with yourself and not filled enough with the Spirit of God? If you want God to direct you, to work in and through you, to conform you to the image of Christ, you've got to let the Spirit of God fill you. Are you allowing Him to permeate your mind, your heart, your spirit in such a way that it's as if Jesus is living through you? Are you walking in fellowship with the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit? And finally, are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? We know Galatians 5, 22 and 23, if you've been in church for any length of time, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is the character qualities of Christ. Now listen, if you're walking in fellowship with the Spirit and you're filled with the Spirit, guess what? You're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's like a litmus test. Think about a fruit tree. Does a fruit tree have to kind of say, you know what, I'm making a New Year's resolution this year. I'm going to bear fruit. I'm going to do it this time. No, he doesn't. the tree doesn't have to try, doesn't have to take a class, doesn't have to get a coach to help it. No, that tree produces fruit. If it's being what it's supposed to be, if it's doing what it's made to do, it's going to bear fruit. The same is true for us as Christians. We don't have to try to generate the fruit of the Spirit in and of ourselves. You can't take a class and learn how to do it. It's not that you just decide, you know what, today I'm going to be gentle. This year I'm going to practice self-control. Good luck with that, right? I mean, that lasts like January, right? No, if you are walking in fellowship with God... If you are surrendering your life and daily asking the Spirit to fill you and to empower you, the most natural thing will happen, and that's that you will bear the fruit of the Spirit. You will begin to produce the character qualities of Jesus Christ in your life. It will come naturally. 
But you have to have the Spirit first. You can't produce the fruit of the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit. You can't walk in fellowship with the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit. You can't be filled with something that you don't already have. And the way that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God is by turning from our sin and putting our trust in Jesus. Listen, maybe here today, or if you're online or on the radio, maybe the Spirit has been at work in your life. Convicting you of the sin, you know you know you're a sinner. You can pretend like you've got it all together. You can pretend like that it's somebody else's problem. You know you're a sinner. And you know there's nothing you can do about it. You've tried. And the Spirit maybe right now is convicting you of your need for a Savior. He's drawing you this minute to faith in Christ. I invite you to come right now. Obey the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't pour water on the flame of the Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. Come now today and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Be made new. Let Him indwell you and make you into a new creation. He wants to teach you. He wants to intercede on your behalf. (coughs) Would you come today and do that? Maybe you are already a Christian. You know you're a Christian. But you've kind of been stuffing the Spirit of God a little bit into the closet. Oh, I'm glad you're in my life, Spirit, but you can't have this part of my life. Not on the weekends, not Monday morning at work, not when I'm talking to such and such. Maybe today what you need to do is surrender yourself fully to the Spirit and let Him fill you. Renew your fellowship with Him today. This altar is open. I will be standing here. You can pray. You can come pray with me. Maybe for you today, you know that this is the church family that God would have you unite with so that He could equip and empower you to serve through this church. He wants to use you to help bring unity, more unity to this body of of Christ. Whatever the Spirit of God, I say this every Sunday, whatever the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, obey Him. Do what He says. Don't resist. Would you stand with me and pray? Father, we thank You, we praise You for who You are, for all that You have done and are doing and will do. We thank You for the gift of Your Holy Spirit, Your personal presence and power come to live within us, to make us more like Jesus, to empower and equip us to serve as one body in Christ. Father, whatever Your Spirit is speaking to people's hearts today, whatever way in which He is convicting and drawing, I pray that You would eliminate any obstacle and help people to respond to you. And as we leave this place today, may we all that know Christ leave here walking in a deeper fellowship, seeking and desiring to be more filled with your Spirit so we can produce your fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.